So if I never walk again, I said, dad, I promise you, I'll be the happiest person you've ever seen in a wheelchair. The most grateful, genuinely grateful person you've ever seen in a wheelchair, because I'm in a wheelchair either way. I can either be miserable in a wheelchair and blame it on the accident, or I could be the happiest, most grateful person. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast, a very special episode as it is number 50. Episode number 50. Today's guest is a remarkable person, and frankly, I don't think this podcast would exist if it wasn't for him, and I have tremendous gratitude and appreciation for everything that he does. Hal Elrod is best known as the author of the number one best-selling book, The Miracle Morning. But what's most incredible is that Hal actually died at the age of 20. He was clinically dead for six minutes broke 11 bones, and was told by doctors that he would never walk again. But not only did he walk, he went on to run a 52-consecutive-mile ultramarathon, became a Hall of Fame business achiever by the age of 25, an international keynote speaker, and author of what is being widely regarded as one of the most life-changing books ever written, with over 1,500 five-star reviews on Amazon, and has been translated into 24 languages the international number one best-selling book, The Miracle Morning. And without any further ado, Hal, thank you so much for being on the show and welcome. It is truly it's an honor. It's a pleasure. Uh, I haven't done a podcast interview in a little bit, so I'm excited. <laughs> Fantastic. So what I like to do with a lot of the people that come on my show is I, I like to find out what got them to where they are today. And in your case, I know it was that major, major accident that you had when you were young. Talk to us about that accident and that you, I have to ask you about literally dying for six minutes. So take us through that. Sure. Um, when I was 20 years old, I sold my, my job, uh, which I had been doing for about a year and a half, was selling Cutco cutlery. So I, I, I did in-home presentations and I sold uh, kitchen knives to families and housewives. Never imagined I would ever do that, but uh, a friend referred me to it and it, it you know, just kind of, I, I, I found it was my thing. I, I really believed in the product and I enjoyed it. Like set my own schedule. That was kind of my entrepreneurial, you know, it was like an entrepreneurial venture where it was someone else's product, but I, I set my schedule. I could earn as much money as I wanted. There were a lot of great things about it. And as one of the top sales reps for the company, I was frequently asked to give speeches at, at, at various sales conferences and meetings. And one night I gave a speech. And what made that kind of a special one was I got a standing ovation from my peers. And it was the first time I'd gotten a standing ovation, which I thought, wow, that's, this is really cool. You know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll stick with the speaking thing. And that night driving home from the meeting, I was in a brand new Ford Mustang, my first new car, which, you know, at 20 years old, that was like, you know, until I could afford the Ferrari, that was like the dream car. Still trying to afford the Ferrari, I guess. But <laughs> but driving home, a, a man in a Chevy full-size truck, much larger than my little Ford Mustang, uh, he left a bar after having two beers and got onto the freeway, you know, being a little buzzed, a little tired. 
he got onto an off-ramp for traffic going the opposite direction. So he was going the wrong way on the freeway, on the wrong side of the freeway. And I don't remember the headlights coming at me. I, you know, I don't know. I don't. I just. I. I, I suffered brain damage uh, that night, but uh, so I don't remember much. But I was hit head on by a, the drunk driver at 80 miles an hour. Um, I spun off the drunk driver. The car that was just a few of the car lengths behind me in my lane crashed into my driver's side door at 70 miles an hour and crushed the left side of my body. And in an instant, I broke 11 bones and I began losing a lot of blood. And an hour later, when the paramedics or the, uh, or the fire department, I should say, used the jaws of life to cut me out of the car, uh, I bled to death. And I died at the scene of the accident uh, or was clinically dead. I had no heartbeat, wasn't breathing. Um, I had flatlined. I was dead uh, for approximately six minutes. And then thankfully, paramedics didn't give up, brought me back to life, took me to the hospital, spent six days in a coma, flatlined two more times, very critical condition, uh, those six days. And then when I came out of the coma, it was, you know, at 20 years old being told, well, you have permanent brain damage, you've broken 11 bones, your body is scarred forever. And the doctor is saying you're probably never going to walk again. You know, I, I don't think there's any age where that's easy to hear. But you know, at age 20, I'm thinking I've got a lot of goals that involve walking. This is not, this is this is just can't be. And and so to keep a long story short, my mindset was such that the doctors thought I was in denial. They thought I was delusional and in denial. And they actually called my parents in and and they said we're concerned with Hal uh, mentally and emotionally. We believe that he is in denial, and this is common in accident victims that have been through something so horrific and and, and especially at a young age where he can't, we, we believe, you know, Hal simply cannot accept his new reality. And so he's, it looks like he's checked out of it. He's just kind of in la la land, like everything's okay. And eventually he will have to face what's happened to him and face the fear or the anger or the sadness or the depression, or whatever emotions he's, he's covering up. And we'd like him to do it here in the hospital where it's safe environment, not out in the real world where he could turn to drugs or alcohol or, you know, heaven forbid suicide or something like that. So the doctors, my dad came in and the doctors had asked him to find out how I was really feeling, you know, get how to admit the, 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 the emotions that he's covering up, the, the negative emotions, if you will. And my dad came in and I said, you know, he said, Hal, here's the doctor's concerns. My dad was, you know, he was torn up. I mean, his face was red, his eyes were watering. He was trying not to cry. And, and he asked me, how are you really feeling, Hal? It's okay to be sad and angry and depressed. It's okay to feel those things, but it's important that we, that you feel them and that you talk about them and don't, don't, don't hide them. Don't, don't cover those feelings up. And I really put some thought into, you know, my dad's inquiry is, am I sad? Am I angry? Am I depressed? Am I scared? I don't know. You know, I don't know. And am I, am I covering up emotions? And it really, the truth became very clear very quickly. And I looked at my dad and I said, dad, I thought you knew me better than that. And he, he looked at me funny. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I live my life by the five minute rule. Remember, I, I learned it in my Cutco sales training, the five minute rule, which says it's okay to be negative when things go wrong but not for more than five minutes. And uh, he said, well, how, but that was for much milder adversity. That was for like, you know, rude customers or canceled orders. That wasn't for, you know, horrific car accidents being told you're going to walk again. I said, dad, you're right. But the principle is the same. I cannot change that. I was in a car accident. I can't change that. My bones are broken. And if I never walk again, which the doctors are saying is, is the likely fate, uh, I can't change that either. I said, however, the way I see it, there are two possibilities. And this is kind of the, you know, the, the finale of the story. I said, um, number one, uh, I will never walk again. Now, that is a real possibility I'm aware of, and I have accepted it. So if I never walk again, I said, Dad, I promise you, I'll be the happiest person you've ever seen in a wheelchair. The most grateful, genuinely grateful person you've ever seen in a wheelchair, because I'm in a wheelchair either way. 
I could either be miserable in a wheelchair and blame it on the accident, or I could be the most ha- the happiest, most grateful person. And I learned during that time, and this is for all of us, is that what happens to us has little, like our quality of life has very little to do with what's going on around us and everything to do with what's going on inside of us. And, yes. and so I decided I can be the happiest and the most grateful I have ever been going through the most difficult time in my life. And possibly number two, as I said, I might walk again, dad. And that's where my energy is going. I've accepted the worst case scenario. And I guess this is for, for all of us, accept the worst case scenario. So it has no power over you. There's no fear. And if it does happen, you've made peace with it before it even happens. I call it accepting life before it happens. Accept all the, you know, what, what could go wrong. So when it does, you just, you know, I can't change it. So it is what it is. And then I said, I'm putting all my energy though, dad, into walking again. I'm visualizing it. I'm imagining it. You name it. And, um, and, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence. One week later, the doctors came in with routine x-rays and they said, well, Hal, we don't know how to explain this, but your body is healing so quickly. We're going to let you take your first step today. So it went from never walking again to three weeks later, I took my first step and, you know, the rest is history, as they say. Amazing. And you know, there's a lot of stories like that that are out there. People that you know, the one guy who survives the plane crash and then you know, they interview him. And it's because he has this amazing positive attitude. And you mentioned the five-minute rule, which you learned during your sales training. But I'm curious about that positive attitude. Is that something that you always had from day one, or is that something that developed over the years, you know, throughout your youth? Yeah. I mean, I I think that I was like, I'm naturally kind of like a, a, an up person. Right. But, but in terms of like positive thinking, I didn't even know what that was until I started uh, working for the Cutco company at 19. And we learned about personal development. Didn't know what that was. Learned about positive thinking. They're all new concepts. And so that really is when my, 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 you know, my eyes were really open to, to a new way of, of thinking and, and the idea of, you know, personal growth and development and, and thinking positively and all of that. I'm curious, do you know whatever happened to the other driver in the pickup truck who had those two beers? Uh, I went to his trial and I, I asked for, I, I didn't harbor any resentment toward him. You know, he, he drank alcohol and drove his car. It's not like he came looking for me and trying to hurt me or my family, you know? So I, I, I harbor no ill will toward him. And so I went to the, my, my request to the judge was that he, he served, you know, the, the maximum sentence was three years in prison. And uh, I, I said, you know, him rotting for three years in prison doesn't seem, I don't think that adds a lot of value to society. Uh, so I asked that he got six months in prison and then uh, two and a half years of community service, specifically speaking in high schools or, or any schools um, on his sharing his story and, 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 you know, trying to do some good in the world. And the judge, you know, just made the, I don't know, I don't know if it's the lazy call or what, but he just said, no, that's too complicated. Just three years in prison. That's the, that's what he's getting. And so that's what he got. And I, I never followed up with him after that. He didn't speak English. So I, I couldn't have communicated anyway. I see. Wow. That's, that's. How interesting you said the the lazy the lazy solution and what a shame could have really done some some good and people could have benefited from that. Yeah. In any event, so let's let's jump back. So now you're you're walking again, you're recovering from the accident. Take us to the next major point in your life. What happened next? Um, so I got back to work with Cutco and, uh, I went on that year. I finished, uh, I got back to work in February and I finished that year, the number six rep in the company out of, I think 60,000 reps. So that was pretty good coming off the, the car accident for the first six months. I, I, because of my brain damage, they took my driver's license away because they, I, I just, I didn't have good judgment. I, I still don't. My wife will tell you, um, but, uh, but, but because of the brain damage, I had no driver's license. So, and, and again, I did in-home presentation. So I was, I always drove from house to house to house. So I actually had to catch rides from my colleagues and uh, I, I did what's called field training where 
you know, newer representatives would come to watch my presentation and learn from me, if you will. And so, yeah, so I got back to work right away. I mean, I literally got back to work against the doctor's orders two weeks out of the hospital. <laughs> I was back in wow. a sales competition and, uh, and then, yeah, and then, you know, that, and that was it. And then I went on with my Cutco journey and five more years of selling Cutco hit hall of fame. Uh, and then I, I wrote my first book called taking life head on about the head on collision with the drunk driver and kind of what lessons, life lessons I learned from that. And, um, and then, you know, kind of continued. And, and then 2012 was when I wrote the, or not wrote, but published the miracle morning. So let's talk about the Miracle Morning. How did you come up with that? So in 2008, when the U.S. economy crashed, you know, like millions of other Americans crashed with it. And, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't lose my job because I was an entrepreneur, but I lost half my clients. <laughs> so uh, I lost over half my income and uh, very quickly within a matter of, you know, like a month and lost over half my income. And therefore, I could not pay my mortgage, which I just bought my first house like, you know, a year before. And so I lost my house. I canceled my gym membership. You know, I just canceled everything. Uh, I got in the worst shape of my life. My body fat percentage tripled in six months. I got into a deep depression, which I had never been before. And from there, went into really a, a, my wife who encouraged me to give a, a call to my one of my close friends, John Berghoff. She said, you know, Hal, you say John's one of the smartest people you know, especially in business. Why don't you call him and ask him for advice? And I wasn't really broadcasting how much I was failing, if you will, because I was a success coach. So if you can imagine the identity crisis, like in a success coach who's failing miserably. And it's like, well, I need more clients, but who the hell am I to help people be successful when I can't even be successful? So I was really... It was just... I was mentally and emotionally, I was a wreck. And so I called John and he said, Hal... I mean, basically, uh, it led to uh, me hearing a quote from Jim Rohn. And Jim Rohn said, your level of success will seldom exceed your level of personal development. And in that moment, I realized... I'm not dedicating time every day to my personal development, at least not not in a serious, committed, like ritualistic way. Like, yeah, I read here and there, and you know. But I thought the way I quantified it in my head was if we're measuring success on a scale of one to ten, right? We all want level ten success. Nobody, you know. And when I say success, I mean every area of life. I'm not talking about success just in like business or money. I'm talking about we want level ten happiness, level ten health, level ten energy, level ten, you know, marriage. If we're married, if we're a parent, we want to be level ten parent. We want level 10 in every area. And what I realized is my level of personal development at that time, which the way that I define personal development, it's kind of a vague term. So the way that I would define it is it's, it's who you are as a person. It's your mindset. It's your knowledge, your level of skill, your level of ability. Your, right? it's, it's, it's the level. It's who you are. And, and who I was relative to my full potential was like at a two, maybe like a three on a good day. And I realized that. And I thought, I've got to dedicate time to my personal development every day so that I can become a level 10 person slowly but surely through the compound effect, if you will, you know, every day get 1% better, get a little better every day. And then once I become a level 10 person, level 10 success will be, will meet me head on. It's kind of will become the norm. That was my theory. And so I then thought I've got to create the ultimate personal development ritual. Like I'm, 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 I'm at a low point. I want this to, I want this to turn around as fast as possible. So I went home and started uh, Googling what are the world's most effective personal development practices? What are the world's most successful people do for personal development? What are their daily rituals, habits, and routines? And I came across meditation, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, journaling. And I kept coming across morning routines and morning rituals. But I wasn't a morning person. So I thought, yeah, I know that works for some people, but not me. And I would just kind of skip those articles. And then finally, I saw so many articles on morning rituals, you know, whether it was Forbes.com or Entrepreneur or Oprah or Huffington Post, you name it. And I finally started to pay attention. I went back and started reading all these articles. 
And it, it became clear. I've got to wake up an hour earlier tomorrow. And then I'm going to, and it will. And then the next question was, which of these six practices, meditation, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and journaling. I know I said that fast, but what are the six practices? Which, which one of these is the best? Which one of these is going to be the biggest game changer, change my life the fastest. And I could not be, I was not convinced that any of them was better than the other. It just depended on who you asked. Any successful person on the planet would swear by any one of those six. And the breakthrough came when I asked myself, what if I did all six? What if I woke up an hour earlier tomorrow and I did 10 minutes of meditation, 10 minutes of affirmations, 10 minutes of visualization, of exercise, of reading, of journaling, all six of the world's most timeless, proven, effective personal development practices in the history of humanity. I thought that would be the ultimate morning ritual. I woke up the next morning. I did all six. I sucked at them because I didn't know how to meditate or any of that stuff. Um, and then, but fast forward two months of doing this morning ritual every day. And it wasn't a book idea. It wasn't called the miracle morning. But after two months, the results felt like a miracle. So I started calling it my miracle morning. I had doubled my income, more than doubled my income in, in less than two months. I had gone from being in the worst shape of my life physically, having just tripled my body fat percentage to committing to run a 52-mile ultra marathon because I had never run in my life and I hated running. And I thought, what better way to force myself to become a level 10 person physically and mentally and emotionally than commit publicly to run 52 miles in one day and then have to figure out how in the hell I'm going to do that. So I did that and my depression went away, not in two months, it was gone on day one, or at least it was almost gone. I mean, it was, it was, I wasn't depressed because after my first day of my miracle morning, even though it wasn't called that, those six practices, uh, I felt unstoppable. I thought if I start every day like this with this much clarity and energy and motivation, it's only a matter of time. And granted, I was thinking that'd be a six to 12 month time period of gradual improvement. I never imagined it would happen in two months. And you know, you fast forward. So, so that's where the light bulb went off. I taught it to one of my coaching clients and she goes, Hal, I'm not a morning person, but everything you just said, it, it makes sense. I can't argue with it. And I go, well, give it a try, you know, do it for a week. And a week later we get on the phone and she goes, Hal, not only did I do it every day after the first few days, I started waking up two hours earlier because I wanted more of those, more time to dive into all six of those practices. And that's when the light bulb went off. And I went, wait a minute, if it changed my life and I'm not a morning person, if the miracle morning changed Katie's life and she's never been a morning person her entire life, neither of us have, this could change the world. It could change one person at a time. It could change anyone's life. And, uh, and that's when I decided I have to write a book. I never plan on writing a second book, but I thought I have to write a book. And you know, now it's been... We just had the... Actually, oh, two days ago was the five-year anniversary of the Miracle Morning. So 12-12-12 was the published date. Yeah. Wow, and it was, awesome. it was over 600,000 people around the world do the Miracle Morning. I mean, and, and we're on our way to a million, you know, probably within the next year or two. Hey, guys. Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. You touched on this a little bit, but I, I know a lot of my listeners are parents and have young children. So what do you say to the parent that 
you know, has the night feedings or, you know, has all the responsibilities and just, you know, sleeps until they absolutely have to get up and then starts their day. For someone who's chronically tired like that or doesn't think they can fit the miracle morning into their life, what what do you say to that that person who's listening to this? Yeah, um, I would say join the club, right? Uh, but I mean, I've got two kids myself. But no, here's what I would say. And, and actually what I'll share is half of what I share is from my own experience and you know perspective. But the other half is from uh, people in, our, in the Miracle Morning community. So the Miracle Morning community, uh, is a, it's a Facebook group with 100 and roughly 29,000 people, I think, from 100 countries. And it's one of the most engaged, supportive online communities in the world. And so you go in there and you ask for help or support or whatever, and you just people flood you with amazing, you know, heartfelt advice, support, etc., encouragement, whatever you need. Um, and so I went. In, we we I so there was a woman once that. In fact, I've seen it multiple times. But they asked that exact question. Like I've got a you know three month old. How in the hell do I? You know, I, I'm not even sleeping. And so the, uh, the the first thing I would say from my perspective is that if you're a parent, the miracle morning is even more valuable. It's more important because the alone time, that value, you know, giving yourself that quality time in the morning is just the, the importance of that is when other people are reliant on you and you're living a lot of your life for other people. So that's the first thing is that if you are a parent, then it, it's, you know, it's even more important, I believe. Uh, and, I, and again, that's not even just for me. I've heard, you know, many, many, many parents say, God, my miracle morning, like I would, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd strangle my kids probably sometimes if it wasn't for that, you know, starting the day in that peaceful, intentional, purposeful way with the miracle morning. And then when my kids get up, I'm already like, boom, I'm at a level 10 when, when, they, when they come downstairs. I'm already up, I'm awake. Now, as far as though logistically, if you've got kids, here's the advice that I received from other moms who have newborns. And uh, they said they do their... Six, well, those six practices that I mentioned earlier, uh, it's an acronym called SAVERS that makes it memorable. So the first S is for silence, which is your meditation or your prayer time. A for affirmations, V for visualization, E for exercise, R for reading, and the final S is for scribing, which is you know fancy word for writing, if you will. And what I have seen uh, from, from new moms or moms that have young children and dads, but is that um, do they do their SAVERS while the kids are napping? So basically, instead of, you know, they go, look, I'm just trying to get an ounce, you know, every ounce of sleep that I can. So while the kids are napping, I do my savers. And they, they say, they have seen it where they'll say, you know, the, the, when the kid goes down for his first nap, uh, I'll do, you know, I'll get through as many as I can. I'll do sometimes I just get the S, the A, the V, and then he wakes up or she wakes up. And then I, you know, and then, and then the next nap, I go do the rest. So, so the point is this, ideally doing the savers first thing in the morning, which is what makes it the miracle morning, it puts you in a peak physical, mental, and emotional state. So if you win the morning, you win the day. However, if you can't do it first thing in the morning for whatever reason, then doing those six practices, again, the six most timeless proven personal development practices in the history of humanity, doing those any time of the day is going to change your life. So that's it. It's that you just you do them when you can do them. And then once the kids are sleeping through the night, then you can really dive into you know the, the, the first thing in the morning, miracle morning time. Wonderful. And, and I want to jump back to the savers. You, you mentioned them a couple of times and you just read out the acronym. But for those that don't know, uh, you said the silence is meditation. When we I want to go through some of them individually because when, when we say affirmations, what are we talking about? Uh, I love that you picked that one. It's my favorite. People say, do you have a favorite saver? Is there one that's more effective than the others? And I personally believe that affirmations is, is the most effective. And affirmations, I believe, have been taught the wrong way. So the way affirmations have been taught 
is so an affirmation is a statement. That's the you know affirming something. That, that's the simplest. That's what it is. It's a statement affirming something. And so the way that affirmations have been taught by you know self help gurus, if you will, for you know decades, to my knowledge, is um, one of two problems. Number one, lying to yourself. So uh, I've heard affirmations taught by you know by by famous people who I really respect, but they teach them as I am statements. They say the most powerful words in the English language are I am and whatever follows is what becomes who you are, your identity, and then you live in alignment with that identity, right? So in theory, this all makes sense. So they say, if you want to be a millionaire, for example, just start affirming I am a millionaire and own that, and then you'll start to think and live in alignment with that affirmation. Now, that may be true, and there may be some truth to it, and it could work over time, but if listening, if you're listening to this, think about this. Lying to yourself is never the optimum strategy. Whenever you say I am and it's followed by something that you are logistically not, literally not, then your subconscious goes, no, you're not. If you go, I am a millionaire, no matter how many times you say it, every time you say it, it's not true if it's not true. So your subconscious goes, no, you're not. So lying to yourself is never the optimum strategy. The other way affirmations have been taught that causes a problem is using passive flowery language. So um, you may have heard there's affirmation out there, very popular financial money affirmation, if you will. And it says something along the lines of money flows to me effortlessly and in abundance. And the idea is that when you tell yourself that, um, it makes you feel good, like money is coming to you. And the reality is, Money doesn't usually flow to people effortlessly. I found that most people that have generated large sums of money had to put effort behind that. An effective way to do affirmations is make them rooted in truth and make them result-oriented, not fantasy-oriented, like a money is going to show up in my life magically, right? So an example is I would say something along the lines of, I am not I am a millionaire. I am committed to becoming a millionaire. I'm committed to becoming a millionaire. I would go even further say, because... And I would put why it's important because I want to provide financial freedom for my family and financial security. I want to donate X amount of dollars to this particular cause, right? So your affirmations should be specific around not what you already are if you're not that, but what you're committed to achieving, becoming, you know, realizing in your life. And why? Why is that so important to you? And then follow that up with what specifically you're committed to doing to make that result a reality. So I'm committed to becoming a millionaire because dot, 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 whatever the the why is for you. So therefore, I will, you know, whatever it is, I will uh, focus on increasing my income by 50% this year. I will start saving 10% of every dollar I make and putting it into an investment account, right? So so that's an affirmation that's A, rooted in truth, it's result-oriented, and it's supported by specific action and even the time that you will take that action. And so that form of affirmation, you're programming your subconscious mind with the belief of, you know, with what you're committed to becoming. And it's easier to believe that you're committed to achieving something than to tell yourself you're already something that you're not. And then by supporting it with the actions that you're committed to taking, then now every day when you read those, you're, you're, you're just deepening, you know, the, the belief, the commitment to follow through with those actions to generate that result. So that's how I view affirmations. And in the simplest form, it's simply a reminder of what matters most to you, why it matters, and what you're committed to doing and when you're committed to doing it to ensure that you inevitably achieve that thing that you're affirming. And I I love that you add the why component because it adds such a strong emotional valence, which many affirmations 
typically would not. Sure. So that's awesome. Uh, we don't have time to go through the whole acronym, but I, I did. No, I did, right. did want. I'm glad you picked that one. That is my. That's the one I go deepest well, in. That's my I, I want to pick one other one, and that's visualization okay. because it, it's been very popular over the last ten years. There was a book that talked about having a vision board, and then everybody in the world started having a vision board. Yeah. Talk to us about visualization. So visualization, uh, first and foremost, uh, to be very transparent, it is my weakest of the sabers. It's the one that does not resonate with me uh, very well. My business partner, however, is John Berghoff that I mentioned earlier, he is arguably the best in the world at leading guided visualization. In fact, I encourage everybody, um, if you go to uh, halelrod.com forward slash podcast, halelrod.com forward slash podcast, and you search, there's one we did probably a month ago. So just just look through you know the archives until you see from, from the newest to just, you know, there's probably maybe on the second or third page back. Um, in fact, why don't I just go there while I'm talking to you and I'll keep talking and, uh, and I'll find it and tell you where it is. Um, so, but, but it, it was called the four questions uh, that will change your life or something like that. But he leads a guided visualization during that. And oh my gosh, the, the comments we got, we got hundreds of comments underneath the, the post. People saying that, that they were in tears, that like that visualization changed their life. So here's the way that I look at it. The world's best athletes they almost all of them from Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Tiger Woods, you know, whoever the, and I'm dating myself. These are all former best athletes. Um, LeBron James is new, all right, but uh, he's current, but um, most professional athletes swear by visualization and the power of visualization is you visualize what it is that you are, you know, that you're, that you need to do and you see yourself doing it in, in really, really flawlessly executing whatever it is. So here's an example. When I was a, when I was training for the ultra marathon, I hated running. So the way that I use visualization is I would visualize myself getting dressed to go on a run and then visualize myself running out the front door and visualize a smile on my face and a pep in my step. When it was time to go for the run, I had already created the emotional experience of something that I hated doing. But when I visualized it, I created a positive emotional experience so that I was anchoring that. So when it was time to run, I had already seen myself getting dressed and going for the run and actually felt enjoyable doing it. That's how I got myself to do the thing that I, by default, didn't like particularly like doing. Um, yeah, so that that essentially is uh, how I use visualization. Awesome. And again, for, for those that want to learn more about the other savers, you'll just have to grab your copy of The Miracle Morning and, and read it <laughs> for yourself. Uh, we're, and we're getting kind of close to time here, Hal, but I know The Miracle Morning has really taken off and it's come gone from something that's a book, which was how it started. And now it's a worldwide movement, a worldwide phenomenon. It's been translated into 24 languages. So what do you see as the future of the Miracle Morning movement? I, I can tell you honestly that I, I'm still in awe every single day from the Facebook post in the Miracle Morning community of how the Miracle Morning is changing people's lives in radical, profound ways. In fact, it sounds like if I if I wasn't seeing it myself and I was just hearing someone tell me about it, it, it sounds like an infomercial. It's I mean, I have people that have told me the Miracle Morning saved my marriage. I mean, I've, I've heard that from dozens of people. The Miracle Morning got me off of my depression medication. I had a 19-year-old come to me at a conference and he started crying. He goes, hell, oh my God. He said, I've been on depression medication for four years and I started the Miracle Morning six months ago and I am almost completely off of all of my medications. You know, I mean, I mean, how empowering is that for a you know for a nineteen year old to be able to be depressed and on medication and then completely get off for the biting the miracle morning? So anyway, the point is, um, there's nothing I've ever 
created or added to the world that has added more value and, and profoundly impacted people's lives. So my mission is to elevate the consciousness of humanity one morning at a time. And it's happening. But a friend of mine who is a filmmaker has been trying to get me to do a Miracle Morning documentary for a few years. And I've just said no out of overwhelm going, ah, I'm so busy. I can't even imagine. I don't even know what it means to commit to do a movie. You know? And he called me about two years ago. He said, Hal, I, I, I've got, I got to talk to the movie again. I said, oh, Nick, I told you, man, now is not the time. He said, what is your mission? 